received from the word of God would be planted deeply and would bear fruit. For your glory and honor and praise, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're seated, please turn your Bible to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 25. Pastor Sam, we do have junior worship, correct? So if, if you have not been dismissed to junior worship and you'd like to go, three and four-year-olds, uh, it is a good time to go. Um, Genesis chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles on the back wall. There's a couple scriptures I want to look at which aren't on a slide or anything. So just encourage you, follow along inside of your own copy of God's Word that, um, that you can be edified in the seeing of it as well. Um, so over the last month, as you know, we've been working through our missions month. And so uh, now that we're back, missions month is complete. We praise God for uh, what God did in the congregation, the responsiveness of this congregation, and the vision that he's giving us for missions. Um, now that we're through that, we'll be looking back in Genesis. Next week's Easter and then a couple other things. But we should be through the life of Abraham and then Isaac uh, by the end of our month. And then we'll start a new series uh, um, working through the fruit of the Spirit coming up in, starting in May. So, but today we're going to look in Genesis 25, and which really is a closing chapter in the life of Abraham. We've been uh, talking about him for, since September. Sermon series since September has been focused on him every week. Abraham this, Abraham that. Well, today it is like saying goodbye to an old friend. Because today it is the death of Abraham that we'll read about. And we're going to talk about a little bit about his legacy today and um, think about our own lives in light of him. So Genesis chapter 25, we'll read verses 1 through 18. This is the word of the Lord. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan are Asherim, Letushim, and Leumim. The sons of Midian were Epheth, Epher, Hanak, Abadah, and Eldiah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Laharoi. These are the sons, or these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the son of Ishmael, named in order of their birth Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Keter, Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jader, Naphish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and, those, and these are their names by their villages, and by their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael. 137 years, he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. 
This is the word of our Lord. May add his blessing to the reading of it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would be our teacher. God, we can take a passage like this and think, how does it apply? But Father, we know that your word is living and active. Your word does uh, cut the divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And we ask, Lord, that you would do that in this time. Father, show us the way that you call us to live. Show us, Father, where we fall short. Father, show us the wonder of your law. But more than that, God, show us the wonder of your gospel, of your love, which answers the demands of your law. Father, and show us the riches we have in Jesus Christ. And so root us in that, ground us in that, Father, that our joy may be full. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was working on this um, passage, I really wanted to direct my attention to what happens in verse 8 and what it says in verse 8. It says, Abraham, you can see it there, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Long life, 175 years, says he was an old man, we would say that, full of years. That's what I want to talk about today. Because that use of the word full, it conveys something a little bit more than just a long life. Yeah, it conveys the length of life for sure, but it also includes with it something of the quality of his life. It describes a satisfied life. In fact, if anyone here has the New American Standard Bible, that translation, you read this, that Abraham died at a ripe old age, an old man, and satisfied with life. It's because it's the statement about the kind of, of life that Abraham lived. And that's what we want to focus on today. How do we live that kind of life? The one that we should be satisfied in. The one that we come to the end of and say, well, there was a full life that's there. The one that when, when our time comes, when people look and they say, you know, he, she lived a full life, full of love, full of generosity, full of kindness towards others. We see that God used that person in our life and in our world. And ultimately, one that God looks at and says, that is a full life. Well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, this is something that we need to think about more than we do, to think about our place in the world that God has created, um, our faithfulness to him, our own sense of whether we're living a full and satisfying life. Now, the, the world has answers to what's a full and satisfying life, especially as it moves towards death, but, but we need God's answers to it. Let's think about some of the world's answers that they give. Some of the world's answers for a full and satisfying life would deal with wealth, having enough wealth, or maybe it's a life of relative ease and comfort, especially at the end in retirement. Or maybe it means that we accomplished something of significance, did something of some notoriety or importance, or maybe it's just we live behind a loving family. And, you know, not all these things are bad things, right? But we need to see how a truly full life is rooted in things that continue beyond us. In God's economy, in God's kingdom, 
both in this world and into glory. One way that we know about that we know that Abraham had a full life was because we still talk about him, right? I mean, is, is we see the difference that he made. And so we still continue to talk about him. And so, you know, but somebody with a more skeptical, more depressed, more nihilistic and meaningless worldview, secular worldview might think, well, what does it matter if I live for something beyond my own life? What does it really matter? I mean, I'm going to be dead anyway someday. What am I going to care? Who says what about me after I'm gone? I won't know anything that happens then anyway. Why don't I just live now for what I want? Right? This is all that I have. Well, we'll talk about some reasons why very briefly here. Two reasons why, which I think are very important. The first thing is that we need to remember that we all live forever. And our deeds follow us into judgment. Hebrews 9.27 reminds us that just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And that judgment is based upon the things that we do. Our deeds become the basis of that judgment. Revelation 20 verse 12 speaks of this great white throne judgment where we see the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Our actions matter in this life. They matter for eternity. And for the person who says, it doesn't matter what I do in this life, I'm going to be dead anyway. There's a, there's a reminder that the scripture, the word of God gives us about eternity. But there's also, on the flip side, a great joy for the believer who knows the grace of God that forgives sins and, and gives rewards based on grace. Revelation 14, 13 says, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Philippians 1, says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says, yes, we are of good courage and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Or Jesus says, gives an example in Matthew 25 of coming into heaven where the master says, you've been faithful of much, you'll be entrusted with much more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, so for the believer, great joy and anticipation of what the future has based on God's grace. Apart from the forgiveness of Christ, there is concern. So that's the first thing. We live forever. Our deeds follow into judgment. Then the second thing is we see that we are here for love and to bless future generations. We will leave something in this world. We affect the lives of the people around us. So the things we do have a ripple effect down um, around us immediately and maybe even for generations. Right? Some will remember us. Be part of some genealogy somewhere. We don't often know how the little things we do and how they affect others. You know, that's why God stresses us that our good deeds follow us because all the things that we do, the deeds that we do, all the things we do, they do affect others. We're supposed to be building up the people around us, right? We leave something behind. We leave something of our name behind. Revelation 14, 13 says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for 
their deeds follow them. That's what we see in the life of Abraham. His name is being recorded in the annals of history. He's one, he trusted God. He built the nation. He did it by faith. His life was full. His deeds will follow him. It was satisfying. It was eternal. And so now we can live a full life now, no matter how long or short our life is. But it comes by being rooted in a purpose, and a purpose which is bigger than us. A purpose which is in the Lord. And that really is the first point that we want to look at, right? The first point of living this satisfied, a satisfying life, a full life. Satisfying life comes from living with a purpose. I think the fact that Abraham's life was centered on purpose is something we see from the very beginning. He wasn't built around satisfying his own comforts or his own plans or his own desires but he lived to glorify God through faith and obedience. And, and that, that was part of the blessing that he enjoyed. You can start all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, where God called him to leave his homeland and to enter into the promised land. God's word compelled him to take on God's mission. He lived to glorify God. He lived to build a nation. He lived to provide a home for God's people. And, and that's something he, he took on from God by faith, right? Leaving his homeland, going to a promised land. And it led him into many challenges and trials wherever he went. He didn't have a home. He had conflict with the people around him. He experienced great warfare. He faced family conflict. He even struggled to find water. There was, there was problems that he was, and he didn't always succeed. But he chose to trust God with those things. I was thinking this week how there's really two kinds of failure. One is the failure of never trying. Never trying because everything has to be perfect or we're too afraid to even start. But the second is the failure of trying something that doesn't work or doesn't exactly work just the way we wanted it to. Well, it's the second kind that we learn and grow through. The kind where we go, we start, we try something. It doesn't quite work out the way that we want, but we make adjustments on the way, and we, and we go, and we grow, and we obey. And God teaches us in those things. But God's taking on God's mission, or uh, Abraham taking on God's mission, led him into the covenant promises of God. Yeah, I mean, there was a blessing, a financial wealth blessing that was there, but more importantly is that he saw his family take its place in the blessing of the nations. Think about when Abraham died, probably only a very few people knew about him and knew about his death. You know, maybe some of the people that were around him, his own family, just in this small pocket of our very big world. But yet he lived in quiet faithfulness of God. Hebrews chapter 11 speaks about all of his life. I don't have time to go through it all, but, but Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 16, speaks about him um, trusting God, making a move, but not really seeing all the promises of God fulfilled in his lifetime. It talks about him looking ahead towards what's future, looking ahead towards what's to come. And, and the fact that not every particular thing was fulfilled in his lifetime didn't, give him a, didn't take away from the vision that he had of what God would one day do. What Hebrews 11 reminds us of was that God, would, what, would he, what he would do through him in the end. In his presence with God in glory. See, God used Abraham to bless the nations. He provided a blessing to the world through him. He helped the surrounding nations know the power of God. 
to know the grace and the mercy of God, built the whole nation of Israel from his descendants, and eventually the Lord Jesus Christ would come from Abraham's own lineage. Jesus was born out of this line of people. And so for a satisfying life, what it starts with is a decision of faith, a decision to trust God and to follow him wherever he leads. Abraham answered God's call, left home to go into the promised land. And the result, hundreds, thousands of years later, was a gospel of salvation that was preached into the whole world. Your salvation, my salvation, is connected with his decision by faith to do these things. What about you? What about us? Well, what matters for us is to respond to God's word. Might be in the committing of our time, might be in the committing of our talents or our treasures to God and his kingdom. Maybe it's going somewhere, some sort of mission. Maybe it's helping someone. Maybe it's building a life of generosity to be, um, you know, there's something to be known as a generous person, one who loved others, one who is faithful to God. Yesterday I was speaking with uh, someone who was involved in fostering and, and adoption, and he had a good sense, um, you know, great sense for the challenges that were there, but a great sense for why he was doing it, the mission he was on. And he, he said this, he said, we have heaven in the future, and we can rest when we get to heaven. In this life, though, I plan to die tired. I plan to die tired, but I'm going to help others. I'm going to help others in it. Right? Something, a great sense of mission for what God had called them to do. There's a fullness that's there that goes generations. The second thing we want to look at today, besides the um, coming with that investment in God's mission, but as a satisfying life comes from investing in future generations. I mean, much of Abraham's uh, satisfaction must have come in seeing the coming generations after him. If you look at verses one through four, we see six more children born to him. We see 10 grandchildren born to him. And if you look at verses 12 through 16, you see uh, 12 more grandchildren born to him through Ishmael. And so God's promise of many descendants was being physically fulfilled in his lifetime, and that would continue to grow as these nations grew or the nation of Israel grew. But the biggest fulfillment was going to be a spiritual fulfillment, and that was a spiritual fulfillment which would eventually come. Did you know that the Bible says that we all, we become Abraham's descendants when we believe? That's what Galatians 3.29 says. It says, if you are Christ, in other words, if you believe in Christ, if you've been brought into his family, united to him through faith, it says, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Right? And I don't think you could even imagine the number of descendants would, would come to him, if you think of it that way. If you think being brought into his family by faith. And, but what does that mean for us? It means that you know, we're brought into the promises of God, not by the, our genealogy or, or not by the blood that courses through our veins or whatever, but it's by the blood of Christ who brings us into the family of God. Billions of people being part of this family, receiving covenant promises Becoming part of God's covenant people, knowing God's love, enjoying God's presence. I mean, this was a precious, precious promise to Abraham. And that's why he put so much focus in Isaac, because this is where the, the promises would be fulfilled. 
You see in verse 5, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. He was the, the heir according to God's promises. All the people would be blessed through him. Even all those other children who would be born, they would be blessed through Isaac. Blessed through that descendant who would come, the savior he would bring into the world. And so that's where Abraham focused, where he trusted God himself. We see in verse 6, he still cared for his many children. Right? This, he says in verse 6, to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Now, it's not a coincidence that this passage, which talk about Abraham's many descendants, right, side by side with the fact that he lived a satisfying and full life. It's part of the satisfaction of his life for sure. I mean, for many of you grandparents are here, you know the satisfaction and the joy of, of having grandchildren. You know, there's, there's a fullness that's there. But it really shows the value of children in the eyes of God, the value of children uh, to our world, and, and even the value of children to loving our neighbors. And this is something which, as we see the Bible affirms and we believe that is so different than what the world holds out and offers. The world seems to devalue children in comparison to personal affluence. Some of the news I heard over this week was how different nations in our world are struggling to have enough young people to care for their old people. Like this week it was Italy. They were struggling to make enough robots to care for the older people because there's not enough younger people entering healthcare to care for the older people. And some of the article that I read said, well, the people in Japan who have already gone through this, they don't like that. They want people to take care of them, not robots to, to, to take care of them. And they just didn't have enough children. You know, and there's also problems that end up coming in other places. And, and even in our own country, you know, the growth of childlessness continues to grow. People say they want to enjoy their lives more and more and that kids get in the way. They want to dedicate themselves to their passions, saying the world is overpopulated, which it isn't. Believing that the lie that children are too expensive because they don't have to be. Saying that they don't want to bring more people into the terrible world that we live in. I've heard that too. Maybe they had bad upbringing. They don't want to bring others in that kind of life. I mean, all of those are a bit of a picture into a depressed culture, a depressed world. You know, but we know there's lots of reason to be hopeful in God. Hopeful in the future. leads us to a hopefulness for the future, even of our nation. Future even of our race. As we see God's sovereign kindness. And that should affect the attitude of, of Christian people. You know, where people have hope and trust in God. Where people who believe that God can and he will work his purposes and his plans out. And so we're the people who believe that children are a blessing from God. We, we know that as we bring children in the world, as we disciple them, as we put good people into place for the future of our world, we believe our children will do things that help the life of many other people around them. And some Christians, you know, we need an attitude check about children. It's why we love to hear children in our sanctuary here and there. It's why a cry room is an important place, connected to the sanctuary, part of the worship of God. As, as Psalm 8 reminds us, is that the cries of these infants silence the enemies of God because they declare that the church has a future. Children are, are critical for the future of the church. I can't imagine that when it's my time to leave this pulpit, 
whenever that is, that if it's all old people, I'd be a little disappointed. Now, I like old people. I love every one of you who's here. You know, but there must be children, right? There must be children. That's a great hope that we have. That's to steer the things we think about, the things we do. And so do you want to do good to the world? You know, have children. Nurture them in the Lord. Help them develop a vision for God's glory. Send them into the world as arrows. But there's a second way we need to look at it. And that's the, the call to evangelism and the call to discipleship. You know, if we look in the New Testament, its focus is more on raising up new children through the preaching of the gospel. You know, as any person believes in Jesus Christ, they're brought in the family of God. They're adopted into his family. They become children of God. And the, and the New Testament reminds us of that over and over and over. It's because God is still building his own people. But he's not just doing it through physical descendants. He's doing it through evangelism. And he's doing it through discipleship in, in helping people to, to see the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To see the forgiveness of sins is possible through faith in him. And as we do this, we're part of God's work in reproducing and expanding his kingdom. I mean, this is part of our uh, satisfying life. It's part of our investing in something that is greater than ourselves, is the generations of the church. And seeing our unbelieving neighbors and friends, no matter how old they are, and saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, hey, friend, would you come to church? Have you heard how you, you know, can I pray for you? Have you heard how your sins can be forgiven? Have you heard how you can have life in a relationship with God? Let me share those things with you, right? Remember what Abraham did? He, he gave his inheritance to Isaac. It showed the primacy of his focus on the covenant of God and seeing God's kingdom build in the same way as we think through our own work is to say, you know, it's not just about building you know, um, you know, my world, you know, my, the physical world around me, but it's the spiritual investment in the lives of the people around me, right? Sharing the gospel with non-Christians, discipling up um, young believers, helping them grow in faith, looking at the covenant children of the church and saying, wow, you know, there's a connection that we have in the, in the body of Christ, the covenant body of Christ. We want them to know the Lord. We want them to continue on the covenant just for another generation, you know, it's the investment in children from nursery all the way through high school. God building his church. It's a great privilege to be part of that, part of God's mission. We have an interest in seeing them grow in Christ. So a satisfying life, first we see the need to live with a purpose. We see, secondly, the investment that we have in the future, future generations. And the third thing we see in a satisfying life is receiving God's grace. Now, Abraham was an object of God's grace. Abraham had imperfections. You know, we can see him right here in this passage as it speaks about concubines, as it reminds us about Ishmael and the, the uh, history surrounding his birth. We could think of other things that are there too. And yet, God chose to use him. It's a great reminder of us who, you know, know of our past, we know of our sins, we know of our struggles, even right now, God chose to use Abraham. He uses, he uses the people of his choosing. And he uses people according to grace. We know this about Abraham as he grounded himself in the promises of God. We see how he followed the Lord. Turn to Romans chapter 4. I don't have a slide on this. Romans chapter 4. 
you know, we see how this impacts our lives today. We're going to look at verse 13. How's faith affected him? How it affects us? Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Right? You can see. How did he become heir? He became heir through faith. Not by, um, you know, following this set of rules, but he came through faith and trusting God's commands and promises. Verse 14, for if it is the adherents of the law that are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise of void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse 16, this is why it depends on faith, in order the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Right? When it, when it depends on faith, when it's not something that we can do, what Abraham shows us um, is that God's promises come to us on the basis of his grace. His unmerited favor, just wanting to extend them to you, give them to you, and all we do is hold out empty hands to receive them from him. You know, that's the only way God's promises would ever go down generation to generation. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of his glory. None of us would ever be able to fulfill all the demands of God's law. But God made it by grace through faith in order to show it, was, it, it is all, or in order to ensure that this grace would go to all of his people. And it goes on, not only the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And I love then, you know, building on this, right? He was, he was forgiven by, by, by faith. It's by faith that God's grace come, came upon him. And then it says he just entered into a whole new relation with God. As James 2.23 says, right there at the end of James 22.23, it says, and he was called a friend of God. He was called a friend of God. Can there be anything that is more satisfying in life than knowing that you're living for a purpose, knowing that you're invested in things that are going to outlast your life and your time, and best yet to know that you are a friend of God, to know that you're loved and forgiven by God? Is there anything greater than being a friend of God? Are you a friend of God? If you turn over to John chapter 15... John chapter 15, Jesus himself talks about being his friend. John 15 and what verse? Starting in verse 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, today you might be here. And maybe you're not a Christian. And you know that you have chosen to live for yourself instead of live for God. You know, you know that you could not call God a friend. Maybe he seems very distant to you. Maybe you've, you've pushed him off and said, you know what? Um, you know, I'd rather kind of do what I know. I, I know there's a chance to be a friend with you through faith. But, you know, I don't really want a part of that. And you know because you're disregarding his commands. You're going a different way. You're not doing the things that you know you should be doing. You're living for your own purposes. And you know guilt. And you, maybe you know the fear of judgment. You may wonder, how can God accept me with the things that I've done? 
How could God forgive me? And the life of Abraham reminds us that we are saved by faith. You can be restored to God through Jesus. Look what Rusty says, verse 14. You're my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. You can be restored to God. He restored his disciples here to him. His death on the cross was done to take away your sins, to make you into one of his people, to change you by his grace, to fill you with his love. And you, have made, you may have made some very big mistakes, but Jesus Christ makes it possible to be friends with God. We will all die. We will all face judgment. We've all failed. We've all sinned. But Jesus Christ died so that we would make it through that final judgment. Make it through where there's no, nothing on us, through there's no condemnation. We're as forgiven as if we'd never sinned. It's not about doing all the right things, but it's trusting in the good things that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. In Christ, God forgives our sins. When we believe in him, God takes them away and accepts us as totally perfect. Through him, we're forgiven and we find access to heaven. Make Christ your Lord. Make Christ your Savior. Ask him to take away your sins. Commit yourself to him to follow, to obey. Let him transform your life by his grace. He will receive you. Confess your sins. He is willing, faithful, ready to forgive. Now, this is the thing that matters most. As we prepare for the time when our own death comes. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, oh, thank you so much for the life that you've given us and the time that you did give us on this earth. Father, we'd ask that you would help us to make it full to make it satisfying, not just in our own eyes, but Father, in your eyes. That's what matters. Father, live for a purpose, to see the generations that are to come, investing in other people's lives, and Father, mostly to know that we are right with you. We have such a short time in this life. Help us to number our days well, to see the things we do and their impact in eternity. Father, but most of all, remind us of your grace Help us to live by that grace which you've given to us in Christ, to live for your purposes, for your